Mm-hmm. It's okay. In my mind, I envision them sitting here facing me. So I apologize for turning my back to you. But um, as far as anyone who's watching, we have that video camera. So um, I just want to say to you, uh, boys and girls, first of all, good morning. <laughs> you know, before I tell you the story, you, you girls can sit down sort of there. You want to sit down on that little? I, I do want to tell you the story that Brother Andrew just read for us. But before I tell that story, I want to tell you that we love you very much at Heritage Baptist Church. Not only do your moms and dads love you, but your pastors love you. And there's nothing we want more for you children, you young people, than to turn from your sins and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and to become Christians. And at the end of my story, I want to make real clear how you can do that. Now, if you were listening, you heard Brother Andrew reading from Matthew chapter 2. And it's a pretty exciting story. Yes? You learned about sheep? Okay. This is what happens in chapel. Uh, (laughs) But in chapel, we can do it. But uh, boys and girls, I'm going to ask you, you can share with me after church. I want to know what you learned about sheep, okay? We'll talk about that. Now, (laughs) okay, you're going to tell me about that in a little while. Now, boys and girls, here's what happened. You heard that... Some wise men came from the east. Now, they weren't probably wise the way we normally think of wise men who, who really knew God and knew his word. They came from a part of the world where they studied the stars. They were astronomers, but they also became astrologers, which means they really believed you could follow the stars for guidance. They weren't believers in God. Now, we don't know exactly where they came from. They may have come from a country called Persia. But we know this. They came from hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And we know that they were sent to Jerusalem by God. Now, I'm not going to take any talks right now. Thanks, Graham. We'll share later, too, okay? Everybody understand that you're going to talk to me after church? Okay. Now, these men... Though they came over mountains and and through deserts, and it took them probably months, maybe close to a year, to get to Jerusalem on this trip, God put in their hearts a desire to see the king of the Jews. And somehow God revealed to them that a king, the king, the predicted king of the Jews was born. He revealed that to these men. And he wanted them to come there. And he decided that the way he would get them there was by causing a special star to lead them. Probably no one else saw that star because there's no record in history of a particular star that drew that kind of attention. And they followed it for weeks and months. And they got to Jerusalem. They said, where is the king who was born of the Jews? And right away, everybody said, what are you talking about? We don't even know what you're talking about. And the word got to King Herod. And Herod called them. And he says, what are you talking about? And they said, well, we... 
we know that the king of the Jews has been born, and we saw his star, and we have followed it, and we just want to know where he is so that we can worship him. And King Herod said something probably like this, boys and girls. He said, you know, why don't you go to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee? Or go to the local motel. Go to Hampton Inn. Spend the night. I'll check with my people. I'll find out where he was born. And then you can go see him. So he dismissed them. And then he checked with the people who knew. And they studied their Bibles. And immediately they came back and they said, Oh, King Herod, we know where the king of the Jews was to be born. It was in Bethlehem. The book of Micah tells us that. So Herod called these men back in. And he said to them, He said, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I want you to go there, and I want you to worship him, and then come right back to me and tell me where he is, because I want to go to Bethlehem too, and I want to worship him too. And you know what that was? That was a big, big lie, a big, fat lie. Now, here's what I want to have you think about for just a moment before we go further. God has the power, boys and girls, to cause people to think and desire things that they would never have desired before. He's that powerful. Because these wise men, they weren't interested in becoming worshipers of God, but he put that on their hearts. He caused them to want to see this king. And they weren't very likely going to become Christians, and yet, probably before it's over, they came to believe upon Jesus. And this reminds us that God sometimes saves people that we would least expect him to save. And we need to be very careful about concluding, well, they could never become a Christian, because look where they live. Look where they're from. They're from a whole different part of the world. Does anybody know how to turn that thing off? And I want you to remember that God can bring people to himself from anywhere in the world. He can come upon their minds, and he can come into their wills and their hearts, and he can cause them to desire to see Jesus. And that's what we want for you. Now, let me tell you what happened. You know what happened if you listened. Those... Those wise men, and we don't know how many there were. A lot of times we think there were just three, but that the Bible doesn't teach that. Mom and Dad, you might want to help them with that. Nor were they kings. And we sing the song, We Three Kings of Oregon. When I was a little boy, you know how we sang that song? We three kings of Oregon tried to smoke a rubber cigar. <laughs> It was loaded and exploded, blew us to yonder star. Well, that's probably about as true as the song that we sometimes... We don't know how many wise men came. But they went down to Bethlehem, and as soon as they left Jerusalem, boys and girls, guess what they saw? They saw the star again. The same star that led them from the east. Probably no one else saw that either. Because when they got to Bethlehem, it was right over the house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus were. But we didn't read that hundreds of people from Bethlehem were standing there. Look at the stars right over there. Probably no one else saw it but them. 
That's God's power. God can do that. And so they went down there and they gave their gifts to Jesus. And just as they were getting ready to go, God sent them a dream too. And he said, don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't go back to Herod. So they went back to their country from a different way. And that at that same time, God spoke to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Joseph, you need to take Mary and the baby right now and get out of Bethlehem. You mean right now in the middle of the night? Yep, right now in the middle of the night. Saddle up the donkey and go. And so he put his wife on the donkey and she carried little baby Jesus and they left Bethlehem and they went way, way, way down into Egypt because Herod, the liar, you know what he was planning to do? Sure. One of the questions that he asked them was, when when did that star first appear? You know what he's trying to figure out? He's trying to figure out when Jesus was born. And he figured that he must have been born about a year ago. So he said to his soldiers, I want you guys to go down to Bethlehem, and I want you to find every baby boy two years and younger, and I want you to kill him. Can you imagine, boys and girls, being at a home and in the middle of the night or in the morning or in the afternoon? (laughs) Mommy opens the door. Nobody was expecting this. Do you have any little boys? Bring them to me right now. Some of the mommies said, I have a little baby boy. He's only three months old. Bring him here. Do you have any other boys? We'll have a little boy that's about a year old. Bring him here. And Herod had all the baby boys in Bethlehem and in that region killed. You know why? Because he didn't want another king to come on the throne. He was so jealous. He was so hungry for power. And he was an old man, and he was about to die anyway. In fact, he died in just a few months after this. Isn't it something, boys and girls, that Herod lived in Jerusalem, and he had a Bible near at hand at any time? Because the scriptures were there. When he asked the the chief priests and the scribes to tell me, where where is the, the Christ to be born? They opened their Bibles. And they told him immediately, Herod could have read the Bible every day of his life, but he didn't. And that teaches us something. Boys and girls, you can live in a home where there are ten Bibles. You can go to a church where the gospel is preached every day. You can even memorize scripture and not become a Christian. Isn't it sad that King Herod didn't really want to go see Jesus? Isn't it sad that the scribes and the Pharisees didn't say, you mean the passage in Micah has been fulfilled and the Christ has been born? we got to go down there. we got to see Jesus. They didn't want to see Jesus either. So, boys and girls, we have to be very careful. Just because you live in a Christian home, just because you have Bibles, just because you are homeschooled, just because you go to Heritage Christian School, just because you've memorized the catechism, just because you know Scripture does not mean that you're automatically going to become a Christian. You have to trust in Jesus personally. So Joseph and Mary went to Egypt, and they were safe. And the angel said, stay there until Herod dies. And after a while, another angel came to Joseph and said, You can go back home now because Herod is dead. 
And he and Mary and Jesus went back to Israel. And as they were getting near Judea, an angel gave him another dream and said, you need to go to Galilee. Stay away from the new king because the new king is Herod's son. And he's dangerous too. So Jesus and Mary went to Nazareth where he became, where Jesus became a carpenter with his dad. Boys and girls, if we, like those wise men, will respond to what we do understand, he will help us understand more. How much did those wise men know when they first got to Jerusalem? Very little. They knew that the king of the Jews had been born, and they knew he was somewhere in Israel, and God gave them a star, and they knew they wanted to worship him. But they probably didn't really understand the gospel. But it could be that by the time they left Bethlehem, that they had become Christians. God gave them more understanding. And if you boys and girls want to know more and more about the word of God, you have to obey what you do understand. Okay? Now, one more thing I want to tell you, and then I'm going to let you go. You know, the reason Herod didn't succeed in killing Jesus was because God was protecting Jesus. He sent the dream to Joseph. What would have happened if Joseph didn't get that dream? They would have stayed in Bethlehem. And if they stayed in Bethlehem, guess what would have happened to Jesus? He would have been killed. And we wouldn't have had a Savior. So the one person who needed to be preserved and kept safe more than anyone else was Jesus. Because God sent Jesus into the world to be the Savior of sinners. He had to live a perfect life, and he had to die a sacrificial death, and God had to keep him alive, and God did keep him alive until it was the right time for him to die. And boys and girls, this is how you become a Christian. Listen real carefully now. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died for those who would trust him. Our sins have to be paid for. Did you know that every sin you've ever committed has to be paid for? Either by you or someone who's perfect. Every lie, every selfishness, every disobedience to mom and dad, every time you've been mean every time you've said a word you shouldn't say is a sin all those sins must be paid for you can pay for them if you want to go to hell jesus paid for the sins of all who would trust him that's why he was on the cross boys and girls jesus was born so that he could live a perfect life and die on the cross and that's what you must remember at Christmas time because you know what happens at Christmas time we see all the nativity scenes and what do we think about we think of little baby Jesus lying in a manger and isn't that wonderful and i heard a really 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 good sermon this week by a man who's very very gifted and he talked about how Jesus came into a broken world and that there and that the angels could say to the shepherds rejoice good news 
But this preacher never really told us about the cross. He didn't get quite to the cross. And boys and girls, you need to understand, the only way for you to be forgiven of your sins is through Jesus dying on the cross. Because when he was on the cross, the sins of the world were put upon him, and God punished him. And for Jesus, it was like going to hell. God left him. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason is because the sins of the world were on him, and God can't look on sin. Those sins had to be paid for. Someone has to be punished. And boys and girls, if you don't want to be punished for your sins, you must trust Jesus. He was dying to make a payment for our sins. And the really, really good news isn't just that Jesus was born, but that Jesus died and that God accepted his payment. And the proof that he accepted his payment was that he raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus went up to sit at the right hand of God the Father. So this is what Pastor Ted wants to say to you. I want you boys and girls to turn from your sins and to trust in Jesus. I want you to feel sad about your sins. I want you to be brokenhearted about your sins. And I don't want you just to come to mommy and daddy and say, Mommy, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry I sinned against you or your brother, sister, you should do that. But I want you to I want you to get on your knees before God like this and say, Dear God, you're the one I've sinned against. And I know you have to punish me forever unless Jesus will pay for those sins. Dear God, I'm giving my sins to Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. I need him to be my payment. If you pray that, boys and girls, out of a genuinely broken heart, all your sins will go to Jesus. And all of his righteousness will come to you. And you know what God will say about you? He'll say, Braxton, forgiven. He'll say, Drew, forgiven. He'll say, Emily, all of your sins are forgiven. But you must turn from your sins to Jesus. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? So that someday he would die on a cross to pay for the sins of those who would trust him. That's what I want for you. Now, I'm going to ask for 30 more seconds of the quietest time yet. Because you know what Pastor Ted's going to do, Allie? I'm going to pray. And I want all of you to pray with me. I'm going to pray for you. Okay? And you listen carefully, and maybe you can enter into that prayer. Okay, close your eyes, and let's pray together. Everyone, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into the world. And we thank you that you put it in the hearts of the the wise men to go see him, and they became worshipers. We pray that you would put it into our hearts, all of our hearts, and especially the hearts of these children, to go to Jesus, not in Bethlehem, but right now as he sits on a throne at the right hand of God. Please help the children to understand that they are sinners, that you are holy, you are just. Their sins must be punished, either in them or in Jesus. Lord, do what only you can do 
if you could put it in the hearts of Gentile men who lived in the East to want to see Christ, you can put it in the hearts of these children. And we pray that you will. Save our children, dear Lord. Save all the children at Heritage Baptist Church. May some of these children sitting here right now not only come to you, but go for you. Go to different parts of this world to preach the gospel. So bless the children, dear Lord. We thank you for them. They're a stewardship. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you, boys and girls, for listening so closely. And remember, if you want to talk to me after the service about some of the things that are on your minds, I would love to talk to you. So you all go back to mom and dad now. Thank you. I was thinking this week about how God knew what Herod was thinking and planning to do even before he did it. Wasn't it amazing? This is just a little spillover and then I'm completely redirecting our thoughts. Isn't it amazing that he believed in the scriptures? He believed in the scriptures. He didn't say, that's just a book of traditions, I don't believe He said, you want to know where he's going to be born? The Bible reveals it. And he knew that that what God had planned was going to happen. He believed that what God planned was going to happen. You know what he tried to do? Tried to thwart God's plan. (laughs) He said, if he is indeed the Messiah, I'm going to kill him. Isn't that that an amazing contradiction The man who knew the word of God was true and that there would be a Messiah to come, even though he knew that, his heart was so hard that he wanted to kill the Messiah. And I thought, man, that's really wicked. That's really wicked. And then I thought about how easy it is for us to know what the will of God is with regard to certain things and then set out and willfully contradict what we know to be the Word of God. There may be some listening to me and watching even who are not in this sanctuary this morning or in the overflow room who know that you are living contrary to what you know to be the will of God. May the Lord have mercy on you, and Jesus is your hope. He died to pay for even that sin. Boys and girls, one more thing. You know where Herod is this morning? He's in hell. He is in hell. He was a very wicked king. He was an old man.
when the wise men came. And he died soon after. He is in hell this morning, boys and girls. Herod is screaming. He's screaming at the top of his lungs, saying things like, Oh, God, I'm so, I'm so angry with myself. I'm such a fool. I could have gone to Bethlehem and bowed down and worshipped the coming Savior. But I wanted to be the king. And so that's why it's so important that we become Christians right now. Right now. And boys and girls, you can trust the Lord Jesus today. Now, mom and dad are adults. Some of you aren't parents here. Would you please turn to Revelation 12? Because I just want to do one more thing this morning. I want to... I want to show you the deeper behind the scenes ultimate reason why Herod did not succeed. You may have noticed on the bulletin the title of the sermon The Furious, Frustrated, Foiled Dragon. What's up with the dragon? What's that about? By the way, I could have inserted another word. I thought of that this morning. The ferocious. How ferocious is it to kill baby boys the age of two and under just just in case one of them might be the king? That's pretty ferocious. But what I want to show you, just real quickly, and I know that you know this, but I want you to see it again. There was someone behind Herod. There was someone all around Herod. There was someone, in a sense, in Herod. And that that thing was a dragon. And the dragon is just a symbolic picture of the hideousness of the devil himself. And we read about it in Revelation 12. And I just want you to see again, dear people, that behind the hatred of Herod for Jesus was the devil himself, pictured symbolically in chapter 12 as a dragon. The first 11 chapters of the book of Revelation show us the war between the world and the church. It was a war that God predicted when he came to the devil and said, I'm going to put hatred between you and your seed and between the woman and her seed. Someday, her seed will crush your head and all you're going to be able to do is bruise his heel. But all of history, until it is consummated, will be characterized by a spiritual war between the church and the world. And we're a part of that war. But Revelation 12 gives us a picture of what's behind that external warfare between the church and the world. And I was uh, asking Ben Hoke this morning, I said, hey, Ben, what is, that, what is that game where you stand on the side and you have a friend and you have these knobs and you turn like crazy and there are other people standing over here, you turn like crazy and you're trying to knock a ping pong ball through the hole. And, and he said, foosball. Well, who's really knocking the ball in the hole? Those little men? Those little red and blue men? I don't think so. I think it's the guy who hits it just at the right time with the right aim. 
In a similar kind of way, the the devil and Christ are behind all of the soldiers in this in this war. And it is the devil who is portrayed as a dragon here who always wanted to keep the Messiah from being born. And from one perspective, you can study the Old Testament and see that. It's just one effort after another, after another, after another, after another. Cain killed his brother Abel. The devil was behind that. Cain tried to keep Seth and all of his followers from being able to eventually produce the Messiah that God preserved a family headed up by Noah. All through the history of the Old Testament, the devil was trying to keep the Messiah from being born. Think of Esther. It looked like the nation of Israel was going to be wiped out. And it just goes that way all through the Old Testament. And then we come up to Herod. And Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And I I want to ask you the same question. Suppose God didn't send that dream to Joseph. I mean, really, humanly speaking, what would have happened if Joseph didn't know that Herod was sending soldiers to Bethlehem and he was going to kill everybody two and under? Humanly speaking, who is this? This is God making sure that his redemptive purposes will be fulfilled. So let me just quickly read this. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. This is the nation of Israel. This was the human instrument through which God was going to bring the Messiah. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs and in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, And on his head seven diadems, his tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. The dragon is behind Herod. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne at the end of three and a half years the end of three years of public, well, actually at the end of 33 years. And the Bible just condenses, compresses what happened. He's born and he's pictured as already having ascended because he accomplished the perfect work of redemption. How's the devil feel about failing to get Jesus to sin? How does the devil feel about all the times he tried to get people to kill Jesus before the time? Frustrated. The furious Frustrated, foiled dragon. And verse 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. The woman is the church in which she will be nourished for 1,260 days. We believe that represents the whole church age the period of time between the first and the second coming of Christ. And then in verses 7 through 12, we have just a little picture of what was actually happening spiritually between God and the devil with regard to the life of Christ. Because what was actually happening was that Christ was defeating the devil by his perfect life and death on the cross. 
So think of it that way as I quickly read verses 7 through 12. Now a war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. You understand, this isn't the expulsion of the devil from from heaven originally. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a defeat that took place in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, culminating in his death on the cross. And that's why... He's able to say that the power and kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. And who is this This one who's been thrown down? He's the one who accuses the brothers day and night before God. Verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you. In great wrath because he knows that his time is short. That's true for us this morning. The devil knows that his time is short, but he's been defeated. He's been cast down in a spiritual sense. He's lost his ultimate authority and rule. Christ has asserted himself. Christ has conquered him on the cross. So what's he doing now? Verses 13 and following. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. That's the church who had been given birth to the male, who had given birth to the male child. But the woman who was given, was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent, it's just another picture of the dragon, into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. That's the same as three and a half years or 1,260 days. It's the whole church age. The devil hates the church. The devil seeks to persecute the church. God continues to preserve the church. And in verse 15, we see some of the stuff that the devil still tries to do. Here he's spoken of symbolically as a serpent. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious. There's the word. Herod was furious. Because the dragon is furious. He became furious with the woman, went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. And here's the description of us who are true Christians on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The war is still on, brothers and sisters. But the victory actually has been won. Because the devil has lost his authority and his sovereignty. He's been cast down. And knowing that his time is short, the devil is very furious. Now you can think about that and you can let that really trouble you and upset you and make you nervous and discouraged. Or you can think about that and say, I'm going to win. My salvation is secure. That you can say that. Now, Let me just show you uh, two things, and then I conclude. The first thing I want to say to you on the basis of this, this symbolic picture of the triumph of Christ over the devil is this. God is sovereignly, through his omniscience, 
through his omnipresence, through his omnipotence, perfectly, with no glitches, no contingency plans, accomplishing all of his redemptive purposes, right down to the minutia. What God has purposed with regard to redemption and what he has decreed, he is presently bringing perfectly to pass. That's what I want to say to you. I can say it maybe in a, in a little bit of an abbreviated way. Listen, God is sovereignly and perfectly accomplishing all of his redemptive purposes right down to the minutia. Never, ever in the history of the church has God had to say, whoops, uh-oh, what do I do now? Okay, plan B, this is what I'll do. Never. Everything is happening and unfolding precisely the way it has been decreed concerning redemption. The people of God, the cause of God in this world, it's happening now in Saudi Arabia. We prayed for the Bedouins this morning. The kingdom is advancing. One conversion at a time. And King Jesus is going in to the strong man's house, and he is binding him and spoiling him. Everything God has planned and purposed for redemption is taking place right now because it isn't Herod who's in control. It isn't the dragon who's in control. It's the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so we see the sovereignty of God perfectly accomplishing his purposes in this 12th chapter. The male child is caught up to God. Seemingly the moment he's born. The devil's time was so short. And he failed even in that limited period of time. The woman is sustained and preserved in a wilderness prepared by God. That's the church. The dragon loses the spiritual warfare on the basis of Christ's atonement. That's what verses 7 and 12 teaches. By the blood of the Lamb that that the the people of God conquer. The followers of the Lamb are the victors. Heaven rejoices. The dragon keeps seeking to destroy the church. But God, by one means or another, keeps her alive. Whatever scheme the devil comes up with, symbolically portrayed here by a serpent spewing out water, God says, I'm going to keep my church. It doesn't mean that persecution doesn't come to the people of God. It means that the church always survives and prevails. So that's the first thing. I just want to say generally, that's what this teaches. And the reason why Herod couldn't kill Jesus is because God is sovereign over the dragon, and the dragon is frustrated and furious and foiled. One more observation, and this brings it more to home for each of us personally. One of those redemptive purposes of your personal preservation, rooted first and foremost in the perfect atonement of the Lamb, who perfectly satisfied the wrath of God, one of those purposes is your preservation and your perseverance. It was purchased. And we see that especially in the section between verses 7 and 12, because there we're told that the one who accuses the brethren 
has been cast down. Now, if you're one of the brethren or one of the cistern, (laughs) this is what I'm reminding you of this morning. Nothing new, but oh, how precious. I'm reminding you that the devil no longer has any grounds to stand on and accuse you before the throne of God. He's still accusing. The Bible doesn't say he was cast down so that he isn't allowed to try to accuse. What the Bible is teaching us is that the accusations have no grounds. What this means is that when the devil says about you, brothers and sisters, or about me, but she did this, and he did that, and that's a sin. The answer given by our defense attorney is, Your Honor, it it was sin, but it's been paid for. You no longer have any justice to be satisfied. That's what it comes down to. That's exactly what it comes down to. Putting it this way. When the devil says, objection, your honor. The judge himself says, denied. Objection denied. So dear, weary, discouraged, perhaps doubting child of God. I just want to remind you this morning that because the baby Jesus was not only born but preserved so that he could live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death on the cross, because God is sovereign over the dragon, Jesus accomplished what he needed to accomplish on your behalf and on my behalf, and there are now no longer any grounds of accusation whatsoever. All of our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for. We hate him. We're we're longing to see that potential for sin to be purged from our lives, and God is doing that gradually, but it will never be completely done, and our salvation doesn't depend on how perfect it is done yet here on this earth. It depends on the perfect atonement of Jesus Christ. The dragon has been cast down for you, for you, and for me. And I just wonder about those of you who are still under his domain. And I offer to you the Lord Jesus Christ. You heard me talking to the children. It, it's, it's coming to Jesus as the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead that saves you. So please, mom and dad, fellow believers, adults, as well as children, every time you see the cradle, quickly say, the cross. Cradle, the cross. Cradle doesn't save you. He had to come. It was a momentous event in the history of redemption. He had to come. He had to be incarnated. Brother John taught today on contextualization with regard to missions. And we were talking a little bit afterwards. The ultimate contextualization was God coming in the flesh to live among us and for us. That's the ultimate contextualization. That's the incarnation. Contextualization. But he didn't come merely to be born. He came to live a perfect life and to die a sacrificial death. And the promise of the gospel is that when we repent of our sins and turn to him and cast all of our sins upon this one who died to make a perfect atonement, our sins are forgiven. I recommend to you this morning the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who went from cradle to cross to tomb to throne. And he's sovereign over the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder of your great sovereignty over the dragon. And we thank you that um, we need not fear him. We thank you that we can sing with Martin Luther that great uh, hymn about a mighty fortress and say, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For he has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for conquering the devil. Thank you, Lion of the tribe of Judah, for defeating the dragon on our behalf. May you become the hope and the joy of every soul in this hearing this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.